from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Are you worried about that? I mean, four years is a long time. Yeah, obviously we are. We're worried about his health. I mean, in this process, he's been hospitalized, and we're fortunate he can get medical care because of us. When when he sees us, he's happy, so we're encouraged by that. But as far as um, him understanding what's happening, I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe it's better that way. I do think so, yes. (laughs) We weren't really prepared for that (laughs) when we started this process. Um, You know, we don't see things like that here in the United States. Supposedly, there was a change in law in the Democratic Republic of Congo in 2016. They're acting like an adversary that these families have to overcome. I'm Sarah Fenske. Three years ago, a Missouri couple received preliminary approval to adopt an orphan from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The boy they named Luke had been abandoned near a garbage pile. He was living in an orphanage, and Adam and Jill Trower sought to make him a part of their family in Pike County. But a bureaucratic and legal nightmare has stalled their efforts. The six-month-old they sought to adopt is now four years old, and he is still in an orphanage. And they join us today to tell us more about this story and what they hope will happen next. So, Adam Trower, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having us. And Jill Trower, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. And we are also joined today by the Trower's attorney, that is David Gearhart of the firm Lewis Rice. David, welcome. Hi, Sarah. So, Adam, tell us about Luke. How did you first become aware of this little boy who is living halfway across the world? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we never thought we'd be in this situation. Um, we were considering adoption. We had uh, one child that was biologically ours and decided we wanted uh, to expand our family. And a friend of ours who had adopted uh, visited with us a little bit and uh, just opened our eyes to the need of international adoption, particularly in a country like the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and so that started um, sort of our, our process. The adoption agency um, identified Luke. Um, we heard about his incredible story of survival. Um, and I think instantly uh, both of us felt a connection and felt like it was um, something that we should do. And Joe, can you tell us just a little bit about that story? This, this boy had been abandoned. Right. So when we first saw him, he was just a few months old and um, he was just so full of life and you could just tell that he was a fighter. And we actually didn't know the the full story of his abandonment until several, um, even years later, we got the full story. And um, yeah, we just felt a connection to him, like Adam said, from the beginning. And um, he lives in an orphanage with um, a wonderful provider and several other kids live there with him. And we are just ready for him to be home with us. And you said you could tell he was a fighter. Was this something where you were able to see him like in a video chat? Or? Yeah, we actually um, have a connection. The uh, man that runs the orphanage has a son who speaks English and we are able to chat with him almost daily. And he sends us videos and pictures of Luke. And um, yeah, Luke has been sick with malaria several times and typhoid and Every time he's prevailed, and we are just so thankful for the care that they are able to um, get him there. Yeah, so I mean, this sounds like, you know, you hear orphanage and you kind of think worst case scenario. It sounds like he's well cared for, but there's nobody there who's ready to adopt him at this point. Right, exactly. Um, In the home he lives in, it's it's a little over a thousand square feet, and there's about 30 children that live with the orphanage owner and his wife. Uh, It's incredible. Um, 
I think we weren't really prepared for that when we started this process. Um, you know, we don't see things like that here in the United States. Um, and, and that was one of the reasons why we chose to adopt internationally um, was while we know that the foster system is not perfect here in the United States, um, there's also that option to fall back on for children that are without families. In places like Congo, that isn't an option. Um, and fortunately for our son, when he was found, the lady who found him uh, early that morning with malaria, he was malnourished, he had intestinal worms, he was he was very sick, um, but her cousin was an orphanage owner. And so there was a place for Luke to go. Um, had she not had that connection to the orphanage owner, um, there may not have been a spot for him. A lot of children in, in Kinshasa are abandoned um, and grow up street children or, or worse. Hmm. That's so hard to even think about. And you mentioned that you had a friend that had adopted from this country. Did they have a fairly smooth journey? Uh, no, I don't think any adoption is a smooth journey, um, yeah. especially internationally. But um, I think, you know, they prepared us for the road ahead a little bit. Um, they knew the orphanage owner. Um, they had, had experienced um, some challenges there adoption. So I think having that, um, you know, mentor through this process really helped. Um, and, and that was the, the defining moment for me was when the husband said, you know, here in the U.S. we have these other options uh, in places like Congo. There isn't. And, and so I think for us that instantly um, decided we need to do this um, for this child. And, and Luke has become part of our family, even though we've never met him. So this sounds like such a win-win, but David, this has not been that simple. Walk us through how this works legally. I mean, back in 2019, it sounds like there was sign-off by both governments. Well, what happened at that point, and, and where did things go awry? Yeah, there's two main stages to the international adoption process. One is a suitability determination made by our government about the family. Are they a good family to adopt this child? And the Trowers easily passed that. Um, and they were then specifically told in that approval, you can proceed with your adoption in the DRC. And so that's the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yes. And that was stage one. And then the second stage is to determine whether or not the child is actually an orphan to make sure that they weren't bought or something like that. There wasn't corruption in the child's being turned over to an American family. And and as part of that, um, they're issued their visa. And that's where the process is stalled. So for years, our government would approve visas for children being adopted from the DRC. Supposedly, there was a change in law in the Democratic Republic of Congo in 2016. Yet our government kept approving visas for years and years and years. The Trowers knew these families. They, they talked to them as part of listservs and Facebook groups and stuff. Yeah. And our government kept saying, oh, we're going to be adjudicating it. It was horribly delayed. And then after all this time, our government finally said, no, we're not going to let this adoption go forward by, you know, by issuing a visa. Uh, they now say that the, the DRC's laws changed and, and that such adoptions aren't allowed, despite the fact that courts in the DRC keep approving these adoptions for the families. And under DRC law, the courts are the, the final arbiters of, of adoptions, just like they are in the United States. Yeah. Courts grant adoptions here. So there is not a court in the DRC that is trying to stop this or saying there's some reason they don't want this child to come to Missouri. There's nothing like that going on. Nothing. Not, not that we're aware of, and nothing's been pointed to us by our government. <laughs> and whereas international adoptions are supposed to be given a priority in our immigration system, our government's supposed to be our partner. They're acting like an adversary that these families have to overcome. 
David, do you have any sense of what's driving that for the U.S.? I mean, is this just somebody saying, well, we have to follow the rules, or is there more to this? We're trying to figure that out. So far, we've been told, basically, our government made a mistake for the last five years (laughs) in approving hundreds of other adoptions from this country. And while these families relied on those approvals and invested their emotional and financial means to make this happen, our government's basically saying, like, oops, are bad, but we're trying to fix that now. So we need to all of a sudden follow these supposed DRC laws that even their courts are not saying are an issue to these adoptions. Yeah, I mean, this is so frustrating. And, and the U.S. is now saying this, this change happened back in 2016. It was three years later that you got these approvals. I mean, this just must feel like you're in the middle of a, a Kafka-esque situation here. Yeah, it's. Um, we went into this process thinking that the real challenge would be on the international side, um, that we would have trouble with the courts there, that we would have, you know, just the process would be slow and delayed. And and it, it was at times. There was an election during the middle of our um, adoption that they cut off internet connection for a month, so we had no knowledge of what was going on there. Um, but we never anticipated that our government would be actively working against us. Um, we really didn't know during that entire wait what was going on. We were told our case was under review constantly um, for two Two and a half years. Yeah. We really didn't know until the last few months during this lawsuit that we they provided their um, certified record that showed that really not much at all was going on during that entire time. They talked to two government officials. They never once talked to you know us as a family. They never talked to the orphan owner. They never talked to the lady who found our son. Um, there didn't seem to be much interest in really getting to the bottom of the facts. Um, and so it is frustrating that you went in this process thinking they would at least give you a fair shot based on the facts. And it turns out that wasn't the case at all. Um, yeah. So, David, these these facts that Adam is referring to here, these have only come to light because you guys proactively filed a lawsuit. This was against basically the federal government of the U.S.? That's right. We had to sue our immigration agency as well as the Department of State. And they turned over their supposed evidence that they relied on in denying the case. And what that record of evidence, it was a couple hundred pages long of internal communications and and articles and stuff. And it actually showed one of our governmental agencies, the Department of State, lying to the immigration agency. They had actually spoken to a DRC official who said, the Trower's adoption judgment is, is, is valid and enforceable. But when our Department of State reported that to our immigration agency, they hid that fact from them. <laughs> and I don't know if – we don't know, again, yet why we're, we're going to try to seek to find out why as part of this lawsuit. Um, you know, what was the motivation? Was it just Department of State saying we screwed up, we're just trying to hide it more? Or is there something more nefarious going on? Is there some political reason we want to d- deal this way with the DRC government? We don't know yet. Yeah. But, but so you're using this lawsuit to try to get some answers. That lawsuit continues. Yes. It's okay. ongoing right now. So, Jill, this is very frustrating to hear about. And yes. I'm sure living this has been even more frustrating. Luke is now four years old. Right. I mean, had you known when you got into this process that you'd still be working on this three and a half years after after you first met this little kid, do you, do you think you would have even gone down this road? Oh, I think absolutely. I think any challenge could um, arise with even your biological kids and you wouldn't just abandon you know, taking care of them in any ways. And, and to us, you know, Luke is our son. And You feel is, that even though you've never met him? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. 
Do you feel mm-hmm. that same thing? You, you you just feel so invested in this little guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we get the pictures and videos, um, and and we feel such a connection. Uh, Jill mentioned Joseph. We've been so grateful for him in this process. I talk to him probably more than a lot of my friends that are around here. Um, we talk about just the differences in our countries. We talk about um, the weather. We talk about normal things. Um, but but very much so. Luke is Luke is our son. So there have been so many studies that have been done that point to the fact that kids need a mom and a dad, that kids don't do well in orphanage settings. Mm -hmm. Are you worried about that? I mean, four years is a long time. Yeah, obviously we are. We're worried about his health. I mean, in this process, he's been hospitalized, and we're fortunate he can get medical care because of us, um, that he's had malaria four times and been hospitalized. But I I do think that um, we can never underestimate the fighting spirit and what he's been through in his life. Um, You know, sometimes the people who go through challenges um, become exceptional. And and I think that Luke has shown that he has a spirit that has risen above so much already in his life that, um, you know, we have faith that um, that'll continue. You mentioned that he's able to get this medical care because you're involved. You're you're paying for his he, medical care. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if and and the, and the fact that the um, we we say hospitals, but it isn't a hospital like you would imagine. I mean, imagine your worst clinic set up in the middle of uh, you know an urban area. It, it looks rough to see that, but it is medical care and medicine, and they do that because they know that we will send money and they trust that. Um, if we didn't have that connection, it would be very unlikely that he would get medical care that he needs. Um, so, Jill, this, I'm sure, has been an expensive process. Right. I mean, at, at, at some point, is that going to be a problem? You're just not going to be able to keep putting all this money into this if you can't get action here from the government. I mean, I think, obviously, every decision you make is based on um, financial status. But so far, we've been able to, you know, make everything work. And um, we've been in prayer a lot about what to do. We have a great support network of um, friends and family within our community. And, I mean... Like I mentioned earlier, we're we're willing to fight to the end. So, and so you continue to be in regular contact both with the the man who's running this orphanage and with Luke. Mm-hmm. Does he understand any of this? Um, I mean, no, not as much as any four year old would. He calls us Mama and Papa, and he calls you know our daughter Nora his sister, and um, he doesn't speak very good English. So Joseph translates for us, but you know when when he sees us, he's happy. And when we are able to Facetime him in the videos, he waves to us and, and, you know, is always happy. So we're encouraged by that. But as far as um, him understanding what's happening, I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe it's better that way. I do think so, yeah. (laughs) So, David, you're fighting this lawsuit. I know you've gotten some support from some uh, of our political representatives. They've weighed in on this case. What needs to happen here uh, for Luke to come to Missouri to this family that's adopted him? Yeah, great question. Uh, well, right now, it's going to be in the hands of the judge, and it's in, it's in federal district court here in St. Louis. And the judge has the power to decide that our government's wrong and, and order that their adoption petition be approved. So that's that's what we're hoping to accomplish. And um, there's a couple other families in the same boat uh, across the country that the, uh, the Trowers introduced me to that we're trying to help in the same way. Um, and 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 hopefully, once that happens, then, you know, at some point, there's going to be an article or story about them meeting Luke at the airport finally, and, 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 and the pictures will be of them hugging each other, and 
and we're all going to cry. Yeah. Boy, I, I hope I get to tell that story. I feel like that would be so great. In the meantime, as you're fighting, as this makes its way through the court, Adam, what keeps you going in this? <laughs> I think a lot of people who know me would say stubbornness. Um, Comes in handy. <laughs> yes. Um, I tend to be a pretty persistent person. I think ultimately we feel like it's absolutely in the right and that Luke hasn't done anything wrong in this process. Um, he He is being treated as if he did, and so are we. But he did not. And, and so we feel like that fighting for him uh, until there is no end um, is, is absolutely the right thing to do. And I think that's what keeps us going through this process. Um, you know, you try not to let yourself get ahead to that day when we might. Um, there's times when you, you can't help it. Um, we've been, you know, roughly six weeks away from him being home for two and a half years now. That's tough, um, being that close and then yet so far away. But I think ultimately, um, you know, we know that he is worth fighting for and that he deserves this opportunity to have a family. Um, and so that's what keeps us going every day. And Jill, that's the same for you. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Well, Jill Trower, I want to thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having us. And Adam Trower, thank you, and, and the best of luck to you. <laughs> thank you. And David Gearhart, I guess you're the one we should really be wishing the best of luck to. You're there in federal court. No, well, thanks for giving us this voice. Um, I think it, it's also therapeutic that they get to tell their story in, in these kinds of ways. Well, we appreciate it. And David is an attorney at Lewis Rice fighting this case on behalf of the Trowers. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Ware. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.